0: Before we get started with the lesson this morning that this lesson is not the sort of lesson that you might typically expect a week before Christmas but then it's been a very strange and different sort of year so I thought why stop now right Uh, the point about this being a a very strange and unique sort of year was once again driven home to me a little bit ago recently December 10th, two weeks before Christmas, went to Woodland Hills Mall shopping. Now, you know how Woodland Hills usually is two weeks before Christmas, right? Pulled into the parking lot, parked three spots away from the main entrance, three. As we went through the mall, there were stores that were no longer there. There, were, there was one major chain that, even though the mall was open, their bars were down over the store door entrance inside the mall. As we walked through, a few of the stores managers and employees alike were basically busying themselves rearranging clothes and mannequins and that sort of thing because the stores were not dead empty but extremely vacant two weeks before Christmas. And just as this past thanksgiving holiday wherein many families were separated to an extent that they have never been separated ever because of covid19 the same will hold true for a lot of families this christmas in fact with the amount of restrictions and separations and hospitalizations and sadly tragically even deaths that have been caused by complications from this thing, I dare say that many families, for many families, the holidays will probably never be the same again. And if we stop to consider where we were just one year ago, doesn't it seem like it was a lifetime ago? Do you remember a year ago at this time? Do you remember when you couldn't find a parking place 33 places from the front door of a major mall? Do you remember? A mere year ago at this time, when we were free to travel and come and go as we pleased with neither mask, restriction, or risk of infection from this thing, it, it's, it's hard to imagine when we stop and look back all that's happened to us over the past 12 months as COVID has so deeply affected us all. Look at the announcements this morning and all the times that word came up. <laughs> I dare say that if anybody had told us last year at this time just 12 mere months ago, what was going to happen to our world, both our world at large and our own individual world, we'd have thought they were crazy. We would have wanted to have had them institutionalized that the world could go where it has gone over the last 12 months. And yet here we are. So I say, that say this, as I, as I stop to consider where we are in our world right now, As opposed to where we were just a mere 12 months ago, I couldn't help but think of several comparisons, several similarities, and several applications between some of the elements of our current situation and those circumstances outlined for us in the book of Job. Apparently, Neither could James, the brother of Jesus, in his day either. So, before we actually get to the book of Job, which serves as the focus of our morning lesson, I'm gonna ask you to turn to me to the book of James. Because I wanna begin by taking a look at what James wrote by divine inspiration about Job in his epistle. Apparently, the book of Job was very applicable to the situation that James was facing as well, and those of his day. And I want us to notice as we read through James here, just a little bit, the comparisons, the implications, and the applications for our situation today, because they are completely inescapable. James chapter 5, beginning at verse 7. And again, as we read how James, use Job as an example for his day, and we'll later get to that in our day, I also want for us to look for comparisons and applications between what James wrote in his day for his world and us today. James five and verse seven. Therefore be patient, brethren. How long, James? until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also, be patient. Do you suppose James is making a point? Three times, patient or patiently in those lines. You also, verse eight, be patient. Establish your hearts. One of the main reasons I didn't go right to the book of Job, even though that's what our our lesson is about today in the comparisons, I wanted us to focus on this text for just a moment, really hard on those three lines, those three words rather. Establish your hearts, establish your hearts, James 5, 8. It is extremely interesting and extremely empowering for us today to note what that word there established means. The Greek word there translated established means to make stable, to place firmly, to set fast, to strengthen, make firm to render constant or confirm one's mind. It's this idea of steadfastly setting your mind or your heart, establish your heart. I want to just, for illustration's sake, point out a few other verses, and we're not gonna turn to them, but I I wanna point out a few other verses where this same Greek word for establish is used, but it's not necessarily translated as established to show you that it means to set it, to lock it, to make it firm. For example, this term of rock-solid consistency and unwavering commitment is used in places where the context is how we must strengthen or define our hearts and minds in the midst of our most desperate trials. For example, it is the same term that is used in Luke 9 in verse 51 where it says Jesus steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. What does that mean? Jesus steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He established his face to go to Jerusalem. In other words, nothing was going to get in his way. Nothing was going to deter him. Nothing whatsoever was going to stop him from carrying out his intended purpose in Jerusalem. He set his face. That's that same word. Another place the same Greek term is used. The James 5.8 renders, establish your hearts. It's used in Luke 16.26 to describe the unending consistency and the unwavering resoluteness of that great chasm. Remember that great chasm in the Hadean world? Between you and I, there is this great chasm, fixed. That's that same word. There's this great chasm that's established, it's immovable. It's rock solid. It's not going to change. There's also a term the Apostle Paul uses in Romans 16, 25 to describe God's ability and desire to establish you. It's used in 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 2 in reference to establishing folks in their faith. It is used in 1 Thessalonians 3.13 in reference to God's ability. God's ability to establish your heart. Does God have an infinite ability to establish your heart if you let him rock solid and keep it there? Yes, he does. Same term. It's a term used in 2 Thessalonians 2.17 and 3.3, wherein verses 16 and 17 of 2 Thessalonians 2 read as follows. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation, I love that, everlasting consolation, and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work, establish you, God God can establish me unwaveringly, solidly, same word, 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says, But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And finally, another place this is used is in one of my my all-time favorite passages. 1 Peter 5 and verse 10, according to the English Standard Version, which says, listen to this. Boy, does this fit us. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, I love that, personally, God will himself. Restore, it says. Confirm, that's that same word, confirm. Strengthen and establish you. Having established, Well, what that word establish means, in James five and verse eight, let us go back there and start again. James five, eight. You also be patient. How do we do that, James? Establish your heart. All of those terms we've talked about. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. No matter how difficult the situation, no matter how hard the struggle, no matter the weight of, of, of the trial, doesn't give us the right to take it out on those around us. doesn't give us the right to grumble against our brethren, no matter what. He continues in verse 9, Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, this is written to church members two church members, four church members, about how they treat church members. My brethren, take the prophets. He's gonna take right here and he's gonna say, okay, here's your example. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. That's what he's been talking about in the previous verses. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job. And you've seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Don't don't miss that last line. He said, you've seen the end intended by the Lord. The Lord's eyes were on the end of that situation, they were were to show Job how merciful and compassionate he is. And and we're gonna talk about this a little bit more later, but he says, the perseverance of Job, you've heard about and you've seen the end intended by the Lord. Don't miss the importance of that phrase, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. The book of Job itself is nothing short of absolute and blessed assurance. We sing the song, Blessed Assurance. The book of Job could be subtitled (laughs) Blessed Assurance because that's what it is. It is absolute and blessed assurance that if one remains firm, confirmed, strengthened, established, Resolute, resolved, unfailing, and unflinching in their hearts and minds, insofar as their faith in God, despite the worst that the world can throw at them, they're absolutely guaranteed by God himself of a sure and certain reward and deliverance in the end. That is the book of Job. That's the book of Job. You want the whole 42 chapters in a nutshell? Boom, there they are. So I wanna take a look this morning at seven comparisons of application between Job's situation and our current one as we have discussed with this COVID thing. Book of Job. We know it very well, so we're gonna actually read very few verses. First off, point number one, in chapter one, Love to hear those Bibles turn. Still lament electronic Bibles. They don't make a noise. First off, in chapter one, we would note a little thing that that might might have escaped us previously in, in just reading over the chapter, and that is this. It was during some of their days of feasting that all 10 of Job's adult children were together eating and drinking. When disaster struck and they were all suddenly killed, it was during some of their days of feasting. Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, verse 13, and verses 18 through 19. And, And as I read that and considered it, I thought, well, you know what? due largely to COVID-19, we too have seen far more deaths than usual within the biological families of our spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ here at Shoto Hills, both leading up to and during our current holiday season, our days, if you will, of, of eating, feasting, our celebration days. Last Tuesday was tough. If you're on church, remind. You got the notice of four deaths in one day. Last Tuesday. Last Tuesday was tough. It was tough because we love each other. That's why it was tough. It was tough because as we read those, our hearts go out to our brethren who are grieving, and not all of them were COVID, but. When we truly love each other and feel each other's hurts and sighs and we get a notice in one day of four deaths of family members and friends in the congregation, man, it's overwhelming. A second thing we would notice from chapter 1 is that when it came to his possessions, Job was the Bill Gates of his day. (laughs) Or, as it says in verse 3, the greatest of all the people of the East. He had more stuff. And we would notice that all of his wealth was also taken from him. Not only in one day, but on that very same day in Job chapter one, verses 14 through 17. And as I considered that application or that parallel to our current situation, I was reminded of the horrendous financial losses that some families and small business owners have both suffered and continue to suffer as a result of the ongoing effects of this pandemic. For some, it is financial ruin from which they shall never recover. And I thought, wow, that sounds a lot like Job 1 lost all of his fortune in one day. A third thing, and probably for me, one of the most important, and because it's one of the most empowering things, during my times of trial for this entire lesson are the two statements that God makes regarding Job in Job chapter one and verse eight and chapter two and verse three. To me, these are so powerful and I need them so much. And I'll explain why in a minute. First, let's look at the statement. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Same thing, twice. While we almost always speak of our need, we we continually preach and talk about our need to have faith in God, and and that's absolutely true. One of the things that we don't focus on quite so much is, at least in this case, this shows that God had faith in Job, doesn't it? If you notice my servant Job down there? Let me tell you about him. God had faith in Job. And I'm gonna tell you why that helps to empower me and strengthen me, whether it's COVID or anything else, and some of the complications. Think about this, put together a couple of texts here for you. As I consider the words of Psalm 139, I know that God knows me far better than I know me. Before a word is in my thoughts or comes out of my mouth, or a thought is in my mind or a word is on my tongue God knows that's Psalm 139 in summation God knows God knew before time began so when I understand that how well God knows me and I, I kind of put that together in my own mind with the words of 1 Corinthians 10 13 where it says God will not allow me to be tempted beyond what I'm able does God know what I can handle does he or not Does he know what you can handle? Does he know better than you what you can handle? Uh Uh-huh, he's God, you're not. Psalm 139, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So if God, and he does, knows before I think it or say it that I was gonna think it and say it, and if he, if he won't give me beyond what I can handle but will give me a way out, if I will but turn to and trust and obey him, and that's the key. We often leave that off of that verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. People say, well, God won't allow me to, to, to undergo more than I can handle, dot, dot, dot. No, no, no. The dot, dot, dot's the most important part. But with the temptation will provide a way of escape. God won't give me more than I can handle as long as I turn to and trust and obey him in the middle of it to get out of it. But here's the thing. When I'm struggling, therefore, I like to, I like, in my own mind, in my own mind, I like to picture. And I can't say it happens or anything like that. But I like to at least picture, based on the example of Job, I like to at least picture to empower me. You know what? Wouldn't I love to have God say to Satan, hey, have you considered my servant Doug? Wouldn't that be empowering? Have you considered him or have and, and for each one of us to th- just think about this and you know what when I think about it in those terms I mean I know that God's not gonna give me more than I can handle if I turned to him and trust and obey him and I know that he knows better than I what that is whatever it is so whenever I'm going through something tough what does that mean to me that means that God knows that if I'll turn to him I can make it through this thing that's what it means and I just picture him saying See my servant, Doug? You see, if I picture it that way, you know what that does to me in my my need for strength? You know what that does to me? That means I don't want to let my father down if he's got that kind of confidence in me to allow me to, to undergo this thing. I don't want to let him down. If he has the kind of faith and confidence in me that he allows me in this situation because he knows if I lean on him I can get through it, then I'm going to give it everything I've got to reward his faith in me. That's what I'm going to do. After all, that is exactly the example we see in Job in the face of such awful and unthinkable news. Job, when he got this news that day, I mean, sometimes we get bad news and over the course of weeks and months, we can kind of learn to deal with it. But that day, what does he do? When he gets all that bad news, he never allowed his faith to waver or his commitment to falter. As we see in his immediate response to the tragic news he just kept on receiving, you know what he did? fell to his knees in reverent worship to the Lord his God. Look at chapter one, verses 20 and 21. Then Job arose, he's got, here it is, all just stacked on him, piled up. Your family's gone, your kids are dead, your fortune's gone, your servants are gone, your holdings are gone. Then Job arose, tore his robe shaved his head, signs of deep mourning, and he fell to the ground, and he worshiped, and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, and in all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Wow! How many people do you know when they're going through something? Well, if God was only real, well, if God was truly a loving God, Job did not charge God with wrong. He may have lost everything on earth, but he had not lost his faith in the God of heaven. Kind of reminds me of the words of Habakkuk. In Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, Though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there is no herd in the stalls. In other words, famine, starving, whatever. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. My strength is not in what I have. My strength is not in what I eat. My strength is not in what happens to me. My strength is in the Lord my God and nothing that happens on this earth is gonna change the God of heaven. He is still good all the time. Earthly loss does not change or affect the ultimate and infinite love and goodness of the Lord my God. A fourth lesson, or comparison of application between the book of Job and these days of COVID, is found in Job two and verse nine. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Can you imagine? Now, I understand Job's wife had lost everything Job had. They were her kids, too. I I understand that. But here, he's lost everything but her, pretty much. Everything but her. Kids, the house, the fortune, houses, servants, all of it. And, and, And his world on earth is his wife. That's all he's got left. and you're trying to do the right thing, your Job, you've got this integrity and, and you're, 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 you're hanging in there. And she says to him basically, are you nuts? You brought all this on us, curse God and die. As was so appropriately pointed out in an article on Job's wife I found on BibleGateway.com, The following sentence, the worst trial of all is when those nearest us, instead of strengthening our hand in God and confirming our faith, conspire to destroy it. Let me read that again thinking of all he went through. The worst trial of all is when those nearest us, instead of strengthening our hand in God and confirming our faith, conspire to destroy it. And if you don't think Job felt that, or you don't think Job noticed that, or you don't think Job also felt the loss of those nearest to him not supporting him, Job himself commented, about both his wife's, his families, and even his friends and neighbor's total lack of good and proper support for him and his godly integrity in chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, and 13 through 29. Not going to turn there, please read it later. Job himself, chapter 19, 1 through 6, and chapter 19, 13 through 29, broke his heart that those nearest to him did not support him when he needed them most. But the point that I want us to see here is that whether we're talking about his wife or his family or his three friends later on, and by application, whether we're talking about some of our own biological family, church family, and our friends and neighbors today, This statement is true. Times of extreme loss, stress, pressure, and anxiety often reveal both to others as well as ourselves who we really and truly are and what we're spiritually made of. It's telling to note that both Job's wife as well as his three friends had totally different opinions. They had totally different perspectives than his regarding many of the elements involved in his tragic circumstances. His wife had told him, chapter two, verse nine, curse God and die. His three friends, if you know the book well or you want to go back and read through it and come to understand it, his three friends repeatedly told him that he was the problem. With friends like that, you know the old saying, right? His three friends repeatedly told him he was the real problem, that his actions were responsible for his suffering, that his perspective was totally messed up, and that if he'd just change and see things from their perspective, everything would be better. You know, as I consider that, I find it interesting that in the end of the story, God is very upset with those three. And indeed, that he tells Job, or or that Job was right in the eyes of God, and that the three friends are in a wrong relationship with God because they did not say the right things. They did not speak the truth. Job was right all along, despite his three friends telling him, you're the problem, your behavior's the problem, what you're doing is wrong. Job was right and Job had to pray for his three friends in order for them to be accepted by God. Turn to me to Job 42 and check this out. Job 42. God straightened him out. Verse 7. And so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my wrath is aroused against you and your two friends. For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now therefore take for yourself seven bulls and seven rams. Go to my servant Job and offer up your sacrifices. Offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you. For I will accept him lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. And so Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite, went and did as the Lord commanded them, for the Lord had accepted Job. You know, one of the things that is just so amazing to me and it's true, and it always has been, I guess. But as I think about his three friends and, and what they said, and Job saying, no, no, I, I, this, I, 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 I know this is right with God. If, if I mess this thing up, may God punish me. And I'm paraphrasing, but I'm, I'm summarizing chapters here. One of the things that is amazing to me is how people that love each other so deeply Can sometimes have such diametrically opposed opinions and viewpoints regarding the hows and whys of any particular painful situation that they have let it affect that deep love and it shouldn't I think it's safe to say that during this COVID thing or it's safe to say at least as far as me personally I think it's safe to say that we've all learned maybe a thing or two about ourselves as well as others as well as having shown a lot to others about ourselves as a result of this pandemic, for better or for worse. But connected to that, the fifth vital lesson we learned from Job is that even when faced faced with those closest to him having a totally different opinion and perspective, being strongly held, So strongly held that they would not hold up and confirm their friend in his integrity and his faith. Job still maintained that integrity even in response to them, neither letting them convince him to abandon his own godly perspective or even to respond to them in anything other than love and kindness. Look what he said back in Job chapter 2 after his wife told him to curse God and die as an example. Look what he says to her in verse 10 you speak as one of the foolish women speaks shall we indeed accept good from god and shall we not accept adversity in all this job did not sin with his lips listen he didn't sin against god with his lips but he also didn't sin against her with his lips he didn't sin at all with his lips in his anguish and pain and maybe even disappointment in her i don't know the text doesn't say draw your own opinion but even in that, even when the one person closest to him, who's the only thing he's got left on the planet, says, you need to just curl up and die. Even though as I read that, in my own mind, I can almost just hear his, his, his heart and his spirit just last straw. But yet, Job does not fire back. Job does not sin with his lips against God or her. A sixth lesson, a sixth lesson or comparison for us to consider as we consider the parallels between the book of Job and some of our own COVID calamities and losses is that Job, although being incredibly faithful, was still only human. I will never, and I know it probably, I don't think it was original to him, doesn't matter, But I will never forget the line, one of Eric's Wednesday night classes, even the best of men are still men at best. And Job, despite his great faith, despite being so incredibly faithful, he was still only human, and so he continued to try to figure it all out. He continued to reason, well, if I've done this or I've done this, then okay, but I haven't, so how come? And and I know if I had transgressed God's word over here and done this, that, that this would be just, but I haven't done that, so why am I here? Again, paraphrasing a whole capsulized bunch of verses in the book of Job. He continued to try to figure it all out, and he eventually became so frustrated because it wasn't making any sense to him as to why he was where he was, he questioned God at length. Now, now, let's get something clear here. It is not a sin to question God. It is not a sin to pray and question God as to why. That is not a sin. Okay? Because if it was, Jesus sinned. What did he say on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did Jesus question? Yet he never sinned. So it's not a sin to ask God, God, why, why? D- did you ever consider it wrong if one of your kids was in a bad situation or one of your kids was you had punish them or something, if your child come up to you and said, mama or daddy, why, why? why? That's not a sin, that's not wrong, is it? Wouldn't it be great if your kids asked for an explanation why they've gotta be whatever? Why can't I have four pounds of chocolate before dinner? (laughs) Well, I'm glad you asked, let me explain that to you. What is a sin, however? What is a sin? Is to fail to trust and obey him whether he immediately gives you the answer or not. What is a sin is to stop trusting him, whether he answers you or not. You know, we need to keep on trusting and obeying him, even if we never get an answer, the same way that both Job and Jesus did while enduring their sufferings. What did Job say in Job 13 and verse 15? One of my most remembered verses from the entire book. Job 13 and verse 15. Yea, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Job said he'd take my life, but I'm still gonna trust him. What did Jesus say on the cross? Uh, I'm sorry, what did Jesus say in the garden? Not my will, but yours be done. Three times. Point, again. It's not a sin to question God. It is a sin not to trust him, whether he answers you or not. A seventh final, a seventh comma final, (laughs) an extremely vital lesson or application from Job is this. That because Job was all of those things that the word establish that we covered earlier means because he was patient because he was committed, because he was determined, and because he was undeterred in his faith in God. Even while under the worst and most excruciating circumstances imaginable, and despite how even those closest to him whom he dearly loved were seeking to tell him he was wrong to continue to trust God and maintain his integrity. He, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they came out of the fire, and like you and I when we get to the end of this thing being such a threat if we hold on to our faith in the same way, will be duly rewarded by God himself in the end. And we will therefore be far better off than we've ever been before. What a beautiful lesson from the book of Job, Job chapter 42. Again, even if you can quote it, please turn there. This is so vital, so important. And you've got to remember when when Job says at the when when it says at the end of the book of Job that he was better off than he'd been at the beginning. Do you remember what he was at the beginning? The greatest of all the men in the East. My, my paraphrase, the Bill Gates of his day, but I mean, he had it all. He, he was richer, he had more. Uh, Job just had it made. I mean, you couldn't get any better, and yet at the end, Because he was patient, committed, determined, and undeterred in his faith in God, even while undergoing the worst possible imaginable circumstances, even despite those around him who did not support him and hold him up when he was doing the right thing, and they they questioned his integrity, and they questioned his faith, and they questioned all his stuff, and even despite all that, God, he held on to his faith in God. And look what happened because of it. Verse 10, chapter 42. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. That's important too. Job prayed for those who had told him he was the problem. Indeed the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then all his brothers, all his sisters, and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house and they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Now again, I urge you to go back and read chapter 19 and the verses I told you earlier because even his own friends and family wouldn't look at him in the midst of this stuff. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke ox, and 1,000 female donkeys. He had seven sons, three daughters. Gives their names. Says in verse 15, in all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. He's got 10 more children. Now, there's all kinds of debate here as to whether he remarried or something happened to his wife, but the Bible doesn't say, so as far as my own personal thoughts here is... is Obviously, he's having 10 more children, so he and his wife are doing just fine. In his faithfulness, there was forgiveness. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. So Job died old and full of days. He must have been old. 140 years. Hmm. in conclusion my beloved but covid induced circumstances suffering brethren once again i want to take us back to james 5 8 through 11 as we conclude please turn there i know we've read it once but it was a beautiful beginning spot and it's a beautiful ending spot James 5, 8 through 11. My beloved brethren, you also be patient. How wonderful this is for our pandemic problems today. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure Job didn't cut down the amount of time he suffered, but he took God's hand through the amount of time he suffered. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. The end intended by the Lord for us to see is how wonderful and gracious and compassionate and merciful he is. Brethren, it is not the current struggle but the inevitable end intended by our compassionate and merciful God that we must remain focused upon. That's the message from James. We must. Like the Apostle Paul reminded us in Romans 8.18 when he said, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Make no mistake about Job's situation. Make no mistake that just like Job's situation where he lost 10 of his children, when this thing comes to an end, as the risk it is right now, I think it'll always be with us, but as as the problem it is right now, there are still going to have been casualties. Job's story ended beautifully, but we can't forget there were 10 casualties in the beginning, more than that with his servants. When this thing finally gets to not be the threat that it is today, there is going to have been casualties amongst the Lord's church, amongst our spiritual brethren. There will tragically, and I've, I've, this isn't the first time I've heard this or brought it up or heard it discussed, there's going to be casualties spiritual casualties there's going to be I fear and other preachers as well other church leaders there's going to be brethren who for whatever reason convenience of being home habit uh, maybe something that somebody said or didn't say or should have said or shouldn't have said or whatever that probably never will return to the Lord's house. It is up to each one of us, each one of us at home, each one of us in the pulpit, and each one of us in this building. It is up to each one of us, and nobody else but us, to make sure that we are not one of those casualties. To make sure that we, like Job, establish our hearts, Maintain our integrity and walk through the fire, not in fear, but in full and abiding faith in our heavenly Father so as to receive the reward he has promised at the end. Speaking of the end, the question this morning is not, are you ready for the end of COVID-19? That is not the most important question this morning. The most important question of the morning is this, are you ready for the other end? are you ready for the end of this life? Whether it's cancer or COVID-19 or a car crash or or whatever else of a million other ways that that people's spirit is separated from their body and they leave this earth, are you ready for that end? Because it's not going to matter in the end how it ends. What's going to matter is it's going to end. And rather than worry about how, we need to put a lot more focus on worrying about, am I going to be ready when that end comes? Are you ready? That's the end you need to be concerned with. In God's infinite love, mercy, and compassion, he has provided the means for us to be ready. I heard recently somebody discussing the fact they said, well, I was talking to the friend, and the friend said, well, certainly God is so loving that nobody would go to hell. That's not true. Number one, Jesus said many would take that wide path. But here's the thing, God is so God is so loving that he sent his son, as, as Kurt pointed out earlier in the service, God sent his son to pay for your sin, to die for you, to face the equivalent of eternity in hell for every sin you've ever committed. How much more loving can he be? The question isn't, is God loving? The question this morning is, are you loving Enough of God that you are willing to obey him John 15 uh, 14 and verse 15 if you love me you'll obey my commandments the question isn't does God love me? Oh boy does he ever He loves you the same way because he gave his son for all of us. The question is do You love God enough to accept His love Mm -hmm. if you do that this morning by being baptized into Christ We'd love to have you do that if you need the prayers of the church um, if you need the prayers of the church that you will take lessons like these in Job and that you will get through this thing and come out on the other end rewarded and you're struggling maybe with your faith or questioning if there's anything we can do to help you this morning, are you ready for the end? Please make that choice now as we stand and as we sing.